Well, several weeks ago, we began a lesson that uh, we didn't get to finish at that time because actually this lesson could go on and on and on. But we want to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago with Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. So let's flip open to Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. And in here, we're given a procedure for dealing with things in the Christian life. Now, let's see if we can remember. It said something about put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the spirit or attitude of your mind, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And the companion passage in Colossians mentions knowledge. Knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. We can't be that perfect, but perfectly, but we can be moving toward being conformed to the image of Christ. So we had a little procedure here. First thing was put off, stop doing whatever you're doing. That's wrong. And then the second part was get a new attitude. And we said that a new attitude really comes through Scripture as we transform our thoughts from the Bible. And then start or begin, if you like that better, start whatever it is. Now, a lot of times people want to have a formula. I just plug in the names and faces and places and it all comes out to a wonderful life. And I've heard young people say now, you know, I tried courtship, but uh, that didn't work for me. Well, it never works as a formula. It's God's Holy Spirit who works, and He works according to His ways. But we do have some guidelines in the Scripture that would indicate the way we're supposed to do things, the direction we are supposed to go. So here would be the one from Ephesians 4 that will apply to many things. Now last time, thanks to Tom Proach, we talked about covetousness, and that was Ephesians 4.29. Stop unwholesome talk coming out of your mouth. Get a new attitude through the Scripture and begin speaking edifying things. And you may have to really write those things down and think about them and make it a habit pattern. Uh, I'm sorry, we're on the wrong, on the wrong one here. That is it. Wholesome, unwholesome talk. So we want to take out the unwholesome talk and put in that which is edifying, that which is encouraging, that which builds others up. And then we talked about how to deal with covetousness. Does anybody remember what that related to? He that is stealing must steal no longer, but he must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Well, you steal because you wanted something that somebody else had that you didn't have, but the remedy is not just get a job, it's get a job and begin giving to others. See, that requires a change of heart. And that's what we ought to say, a new attitude of heart. And then we finally had an angry response. And in Ephesians 4.30, I believe it is, right along in there, it says, get rid of all rage and anger, brawling and slander, every form of malice, and... It'll take a new attitude for this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake forgave you. Now, I don't want to present this as something that that's just easy to do. It's just something simple. You just plug in whatever you're dealing with and it goes away. This is a very difficult thing. In fact, today we're moving on to Philippians 4, if you'll turn to Philippians 4, and we're going to be dealing with an area that is very, very difficult to manage in our lives. Now, I want to um, talk about one thing. We're going to take two things. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is worry. Now, you know some of the suggestions that we've given for worry. Instead of worrying all the time, you can just get yourself a little worry notebook. And in the worry notebook, I don't have mine here, but um, you just, instead of worrying, you just write down the things that you're going to worry about. And then you pick a time during your week, and that's going to be your worry time. Two hours maybe on Thursday afternoon. And you have your worry room where you can go undisturbed, and then you really do heavy-duty, industrial-strength, concentrated worry. And then two hours is up, you close your book, you don't have a worry for the rest of the week. Now we say, oh, that's kind of that's silly. Well, there is a substitute that fits right into that. So we would say, first thing here, stop worrying. Stop worrying. That's easy to say, but it's difficult to do. Does the Bible say anything about that? Say yes. Yes, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now we need to back that up just a little bit, a couple of verses to verse 4, if you're in Philippians 4. And Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, in case you didn't get it the first time, I say, Rejoice. Rejoice there. He puts the emphasis on rejoicing. Praising God for who He is. And then, in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. We're thanking Him for all He's done for us. We're praising Him for His character, His goodness, His mercy, His kindness, His love, and all those attributes we've been studying about with Judge Przlowski. So we're going to stop worrying. We're going to get a new attitude in our hearts. And what do you think, according to the passage, you want to put in the place of worry? What do you want to go for? Okay, exactly right. Start rejoicing. All this really is a part of prayer. Start rejoicing. Start thanking God. And of course, the supplication. Well, we could fit in with uh, what we can. We could say asking God for what we need. Let's just say asking Him. Now. A lot of times, we camp out right here. Lord, give me this, give me that. Let's say I need a half dozen of these. It's kind of like we're going down the grocery list. And that's good. God wants us to do that. But this kind of sets the stage for things. When we're rejoicing, that brings us to the throne of God in some sense. 
it just seems to lift our hearts and pick us up to where He is. Now, years ago, I think I've mentioned this a number of times, but I ran into a little book. And this book was written by a man who's a pastor here in San Antonio, Jack Taylor at Castle Hills Church. And this little book, and at first I was sick with the flu, and the guy gave me a, um, tapes to listen to, a series, and it was a series from which the book came, The Hallelujah Factor. And The Hallelujah Factor really was a great encouragement to me in fact, I would say some things at that time really changed the direction of my life. And I want to share that with you and uh, give a little word of testimony. Now, if you see some tears or anything, as I think about everything God's done, don't think I'm having a stroke or anything. Uh, sometimes, you know, you remember these things and uh, lots of memories. But here's the process now. Don't worry about things. Get a new attitude from Scripture that would include those things we have memorized. We may not have all the verses memorized, but say it with me now. God's love is perfect. I know we memorize those things, because you've got to have these four if you're going to make it. God's love is perfect. God's wisdom is infinite. God's control is sovereign. God's goal is good. If you don't have those in here, you got to get them in here because that covers all the bases. If God loves us, and it's a perfect love, and He knows everything there is to know, not only what will happen, but all the contingencies of what would happen if something else happened, and then He is in control of everything. No molecule of the universe is outside of God's control. And see, that's the reason He can guarantee the promises that He makes in the Scripture. And then what's God's goal? Where are we going? All things work together for good for them who love Him and are called according to His purpose. World War II worked together for good? Oh, a lot of people became Christians as a result of what was going on there. People gained a different perspective of life. People began to understand man is not inherently good. That's what we were thinking along about before World War I, that we were just on the heights of evolution moving on to perfection. But a couple of world wars changed that perspective. God is working all things for good despite the curse, despite everything that we do to mess it up. We can't mess it up because God's plan is ultimately going to be put into effect and we know that that is coming the goal of God's plan is coming. He, all, he works it all for our good and for His glory. So keep in mind those four things. There are a lot of scriptures that would help get those things nailed down in our minds. Now, when we come down to this part, it's not going to be a one afternoon. Instead of my worry session, I'll just have my prayer session. That's a good place to begin. But you may need a session every week and sometimes, in the case of dire circumstances, you need a session every day. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In all things, give thanks. That's going to be some of what you will memorize right here. So there was a time... Let me uh, flip over here and make sure I get my dates correct here. 
One day, I was down in the Windmill Canyon out at Headwaters Ranch. And I like to go down there and pray, particularly on Mondays. And so I was um, thinking, and I was praying, and so a thought came to my mind, and I thought this thought might be from God since I'm praying. And the thought was, it's time for you and Yvonne to leave the country and move to town. Now, that was a pretty unusual thought because we lived in the country for 30 years. And some of you have been to our place in Alabama way out in the country, and we just love God's creation, a place for people to come out and have a good time and praise the Lord. And so I thought, that is a pretty unusual thought. I will go home and I will share that thought with Yvonne because Yvonne is close to the Lord and she knows how to interpret these things. And so I went home and I said, Vaughn, I think the Lord is telling us that it's time to leave the country and, and go to town. Now, when something like that is said, you could jump in right here. I mean, that's where I would tend to jump in because you wonder, how am I going to do that? Now, everything is pretty settled here and how in the world could I make that kind of change? And uh, you know the kind of guy I am. I like to do things real early. Get up early in the morning, get everything kind of ready, kind of study over things, what you're going to do, and really be prepared. And I'm, I'm not much on those last-minute uh, change things, you know. Uh, so that, that's just kind of the way I am. But God is not that way. He's not that way at all. He can do things that way. And He tells us that the wise man foresees danger and prepares, we heard last week, from chance. But a lot of times, God just gets in the hurry-up mode. We're going to do it right now. We're going to do it today. And so, I didn't operate that way at all. So I started talking to Yvonne. And I said, Yvonne, maybe we need to move to town. Well, where are we going to live? Well, uh, Rose Hicks takes in homeless people, but... <laughs> But Mom says she's full at this time. And then I mentioned that place that, uh, where we used to have those piano recitals, and then we both went down in the canyon to pray. <laughs> Any of you been to those recitals that we used to have on? Yeah, over at Knopp Nursing Home. So uh, uh, we were praying, and we decided that we would do something. Now, there was, um, there was another uh, aspect of this. That was in July of 2007. On August the 15th, Cody and I were studying our discipleship book over at the Delta House, as we call the ministry house, uh, that old farmhouse over next door. Delta, let's see, Discipleship Equipping Leadership Training Academy. And so uh, we were there doing our discipleship in the discipleship house. And Cody said, well, uh, my mom and dad and I have been thinking about somebody who would be a potential candidate for a courtship. And I said, that's good. Uh, that's great. Who might that be? And he said, Lucille. <laughs> well, I didn't think too much about that because I had learned that you wait to see how these things are going to progress and God's going to confirm. And he said, but we'll need 30 days to really pray about that some more and to confirm things. And I said, that's great. I'll be glad to join you in prayer. Now, I'm checking my dates. That was August the 15th. On August the 27th, Yvonne and Lucy and myself decided that we would begin 50 days of praise. 
Now, we, we might do this sometime as a group, but you can do it individually. 50 days of praise. And so we got out our little book, and what that was going to be was this. Instead of um, being concerned about how we're going to move to town and whatever's coming here, see, that was before, uh, in fact, Mr. Jim Carson was living in that house where we're living now. And we had no idea about how we would get to town or place to live or anything. So instead of worrying, we decided what we're going to do every day is really start praising the Lord for everything He's done for us and for who He is. And just focus on praise. Not that we're not going to be asking Him for some things. Uh, not that we're uh, just going to close down everything else we do devotion time. But we're going to put the emphasis on praise. So we started the 50 days of praise on August the 27th. And we were going to go on till October the 15th. And that would be the end of our 50 days. Well, 10 days later, after we began the 50 days of praise, I spent the morning with Mike Carnett over at the Discipleship House, spent the afternoon with Cody Carnett, and things began rolling along Yvonne, with uh, Lucille and Cody. Yvonne and I were thinking, hey, this is, this is a wonderful thing. Uh, what's going to be happening next? Well, in the meantime, we're thinking about moving to town, getting everything packed up and moving to town. Well, Cody went to Haiti. Yvonne and I went to Dallas to teach. We left Lucy at home to pack up all of the boxes and get everything ready to go. And then at the next to the last day, the next to the last day before the end of the 50 days of praise, Cody and Lucy were engaged. And that meant that things were on the fast track. That was, I believe, October 14th. Is that right? October 14th. So, uh, in the meantime, this house had sold and it was available for lease, and so we were moving over to this house with the help of many of you. That was uh, a kind of an unsettling time unless you're really prayed up. Well, we purpose to be. One day I drove in the driveway right over here where we live, and I saw a demolition crew working on that little apartment back there, taking everything apart, taking the walls, all, all kinds of things. I thought, how in the world could this thing come back together in 13 weeks before the wedding takes place? Well, we just got to go back and keep thinking and keep praising and keep uh, listening to what God is going to tell us. So uh, we, we were rolling on there. Uh, Christmas time came. Now that's a busy time of year, you know, Thanksgiving and then into the holidays. And that year we went to the Time for Christ trip down in Mexico. And we came back from that trip. I think I never guessed it would be so cold in Mexico. I thought we were going south, but it felt like the Arctic Circle. So I just about froze to death, but we got back home. We got thawed out. We got settled in. And then we began thinking about music and accommodations for guests and schedules and phone calls and emails and wedding showers and uh, invitations to be mailed and dresses and tresses and all of those things that go into a wedding. Because the wedding was just two weeks later. This didn't fit with my modus operandi 
you know, get ready way early, six months, and, and it all just unfolds. So we were rolling on, but I would say this. In God's good grace, I was prayed up. Yvonne was prayed up. I think Lucy was prayed up. And many of you were praying for us so that we could make it to here instead of here. And that was a real good thing. Now, we don't know what God is doing for the future, so we all need to be prayed up all the time. And the praising and rejoicing just reminds us that we have a great God. We have a a big God, as little children would say. And He controls all things, and He's working all things for our good. And when a little bit of discipline comes along or some difficult circumstance or whatever it may be, or I get sick or an accident, He's using that for my sanctification. We've talked about that so much, you know that it's just kind of running out your ears. Now, that would be, that would be the thing on worry. Don't want to be too simplistic, but this is kind of the bare bones of what's going on here. It's all about what is in your heart. Now, we do have a resident artist here in the uh, First Light community, and I want to ask him if he would come up, Mr. Colin Jumas. And uh, what we need, because we're moving into phase two of this lesson, and phase two is going to... Yeah, let's just put him right here. Phase two is going to be closely connected with what's coming in phase one. Now, I want to ask Colin if he would draw us a little man... And this little man is going to represent you and me and all men. And he might not be a Christian, but he might be a Christian. Let's just say that he's a Christian because most of us are Christians and we're going to be moving into another possibility. Now, if you are in Philippians 4, uh, move on down to about verse... um, Oh, about verse 7. And um, let me just flip over to Philippians here and make sure we're all on the same page. Now we're going to talk about what I am thinking of. And this would be Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, let's get us a new outline here. While Colin is drawing our man, we're going to stop something. We're going to get a new attitude. And we're going to begin something else in its place. Now it says in there, finally, brethren, whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, do what? Take all these things and do what? Think on them. Dwell upon them. That word for think doesn't just mean a thought flew through my mind. It means you camp out on it. You focus on it like you do when you're waiting for your birthday if you're younger. You're just kind of thinking about what's coming and the good times it's going to be. You are meditating on it. So stop thinking about 
negative thoughts. Negative thoughts. Now that covers a wide range of things, and it could include worry. In fact, worry would probably be the very first thing on the list. Negative thoughts. Let me just tell you what I'm thinking about here. Inferiority, self-pity, depression, discouragement, bitterness, covetousness, and greed, envy and jealousy, fear, lust, guilt, negative attitudes, focus on self. Now you may be saying to yourself, we're going to cover all this stuff that counselors take months and even years to deal with in depth. Well, I'm just giving you the framework. We've got to go home and hook the meat on the skeleton there and fill it out and make it a part of our lives. Now, here are some negative thoughts. I'm not any good. I'm all alone. I'm U-G-L-Y. I ain't got no alibi. I'm a failure. I feel used. I'm not worthy. I'm an idiot. You ever heard anybody say that? I'm just an idiot. Negative thoughts. I'll never get it right. I really have nothing to offer. Nobody understands me. I can't do anything right. It's always my fault. My parents don't even love me. I'm a lousy mother and homemaker. These people would be better off without me. Have you heard people say things like that? Now, where do those thoughts... Yeah, keep going. Where do those thoughts come from? We got them here coming out of the heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7, I believe. What does that mean? That means whatever you're thinking about, that's what you're becoming. That's going to be the person that you are. What you think about most of the time. Now a lot of times we're not really engaged, but there's some thoughts there. And it's just kind of in cruise control. What do you think about when it's in cruise control? If it would be negative thoughts, we've got to come back and deal with that. Now how are we going to do it? Don't be conformed to the world because here's where the world is. Uh, my voice is changing a little bit here, so uh, don't worry about that. Here is the world. Antidepressant use has surged 400%, 400% since the early 1990s. 11% of Americans over age 12 take antidepressants according to the National Center for Health Statistics. Here is Dr. Charles Raisin, who is the Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Arizona School of Medicine. Here's his quote. If life is like walking on a tightrope, antidepressants are the net. They really work when you're taking them. Now, I would agree. There may be a time when you need to take antidepressants. Maybe something's going on. The doctor said you need to get through this time. That's right. But if you're taking antidepressants as a way of life and you're a Christian, then you've missed something right here and especially right here. And there is a remedy for that. I mean, there are a lot of possibilities of things that we could talk about, but we're talking about the basis this morning, the spiritual aspect of that. Now, here's our guy here. He's got these negative thoughts. They're coming out of his heart. Many times in Scripture, the heart is synonymous with 
what the mind exactly right is a man thinketh in his heart well we know it's the mind that thinks but the heart thinks too Colin thank you so much that's pretty good now this guy has a smile on his face do you know why because to everyone else he wants to look pretty good so he can come with his ministry smile down to the church and everything is great yes uh, we're rolling right along here but if you saw him at some other times or at a moment when he would think no one would be looking you might see a different expression on his face because negative thoughts will drag you down and they will incapacitate you where you can't even do the normal things of life that you need to do that's the reason for the antidepressants if if we're talking about 11 percent of americans over age 12 that would be 28 million people on antidepressants women take two and a half times more than men and again there may be a time where you need to take antidepressants and get things together and move in a new direction. But if that's a lifestyle, then we're dealing with this problem right here. Negative thoughts, getting a new attitude, how are we going to do it? We mentioned it last time, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind or the renewing of your heart so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. It's not God's will for us to be depressed. It's God's will for us to live a victorious Christian life. That doesn't mean there won't be times of grief or sorrow or whatever. Paul talks about being sorrowful yet rejoicing. So let's think about what we're going to put in the place of these negative thoughts. And let's just come right in here. Now think about it. Whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous pretty good list here virtuous and praiseworthy things worthy of praise now those are the things that we want to think about but what does that mean turn to Psalm 103 Psalm 103 oh that's a good one bless the Lord O my soul and forget not all His benefits. Psalm 103. Now, you follow with me right there at the beginning of the chapter because here's what happens. Somebody says, well, you want me to think about what's true? Let me tell you what's true in my life. I'm in bad shape. We can't pay the rent. We don't have any money. Uh, everything is just falling apart. And besides that, I'm not feeling too good these days. And these things kind of feed on themselves. You've got to kick out of that mode into something else. So this is not going to be easy because where does the enemy of our souls want us to be? 
He wants us to be right here. But what does God say in 2 Corinthians 10? He says we don't wage war the way the world wages war, but our weapons are divinely powerful for the pulling down of strongholds. See, if you think about this enough, it becomes a part of your very life. It's who you are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So back to the Corinthians verse, we are taking captive. We're destroying speculations that the enemy wants to give us. Well, what if? What if you just die one day driving down the road with all the children in the car? He's got all kind of crazy thoughts for us. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking captive what? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, as Christians, we've got to learn to do that. We've got to learn to take captive every thought. And it might not be negative thoughts. It might be lustful thoughts. It might be... It could be all kinds of things, but things that are going to be affecting the outcome of our lives as a man thinketh in his heart. I'm becoming what I am. And if I see some things that I am that are not too good, I've got to change those things. So we've got to get a new attitude here. Now this person is saying, hey, what's true in my life is everything is bad. Well, what does it say here in verse 1? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Actually, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not what? Forget not all His benefits. So, whatever is true, uh, I'm not even going to have time to write all that, but forget not all His benefits. But I say, wait a minute. I'm feeling guilty now about being so depressed. Christians ought not to be depressed like this, so I'm feeling guilty about it. What does He say in the very next verse? You're feeling guilty? Who pardons all your iniquities? Maybe you are guilty. If you are, you confess your sin and God will pardon your iniquities. You don't have to bear a burden of guilt. But people that are taking antidepressants that are really struggling, a lot of times it's because of guilt. Satan loves to load us up with guilt. And there are two things that the human soul can't stand, guilt and bitterness. And one time I'm feeling guilty about feeling the way I feel toward others. And other times I'm mad at them and blaming it all on them. And I'm bouncing between guilt and bitterness. Guilt and bitterness. I can't live that way. It's not good for the body. In fact, it'll spill over into the body. So then I say, well, I've been sick. What does he say? Who healeth all thy diseases. But my life is in a mess. Who redeemeth my life from destruction. But nobody loves me. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. But the cupboard is bare. I've got nothing to eat. Who satisfies my mouth with good things. But I'm beginning to feel old and useless so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. Now here's something very important as we're winding down this lesson. When you start thinking about what's true, you have got to dig in on the authority of God. And the authority of God is expressed in His Word. And the minute I start looking in the mirror, instead of looking to the Word of God, I've got troubles. 
because it's not my experience that's infallible. It's the Word of God that's infallible. And God says, look, you need to get on some things that are noble here, some things that are, that are righteous, some things that are pure. And we'll take a quick look and see what those might be. But if I'm looking at my experience in life, see, I could say, well, you know, I've done all these things. I've been a Christian. I've met in Scripture. I've done this. And the outcome is supposed to be this. What if the outcome is something a little different like in Job's life? What then? Does Job say, oh no, it wasn't true. God's not a God of love. Look at what's happened to me. A lot of bad things are happening here. Uh, God doesn't have any control over this. What if God is not omnipotent? No, He's looking at the Word. He's looking at who God is and what God has said. And if I don't stay focused on the authority of God's Word, I can easily get sidetracked off to my experience. Now, experience is a good thing. And we hear people who give a testimony. Uh, yes, I gave my life to Christ and He did this, this, this. You can hear people say the same thing about Buddha or the same thing about Mohammed or all kinds of New Age concepts. It's got to be more than experience. That's the reason when we're sharing the Gospel with people, We've got to give them the Word. Uh, We've got to give them the words that explain the wordless book. What if you just gave people the wordless book? They wouldn't know anything about anything. What's this? Some kind of... They wouldn't know a thing. What if you just lived a nice life before the community? They might think you're a Mormon or something. They, they, they're pretty moral people. They wouldn't know anything about the true Christ. We've got to give them Christ. How did I get off on that? Now, let's, um, let's go down the list here. If you wanted to begin thinking, by the way, there's a bonus here. You're going to like it. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Is that verse um, 6? Oh, I've turned to Psalms. That's right there in that, Psalm, that uh, Philippians 4 passage. Peace of God passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus if you do this. So let's run through quickly here and think now how would I begin to think about things that are true, honest, just, pure, and so forth, and let my, let my mind dwell on these things, make them a very part of my being everywhere I go. This is what I'm thinking about. Okay, here we go, pretty quickly. True versus false. You can go to the prophet Jeremiah. Everything was breaking down. The Babylonian army was there coming in. He said, look, God says surrender to the Babylonians and you'll have your life. And everything's going to be alright because in 70 years we're coming back to the land. That didn't look like much truth. And they threw him down in the pit, you remember. And uh, old Ebed-Melech had to pull him up out of there. But uh, he was telling the truth. A lot of times we look in God's Word, it doesn't look like the truth in my life right now, but I've got to latch on to it. It's God's authority. Then, here's what I'm suggesting. Get some people out of Scripture, some characters from the Bible, in whose lives you see these characteristics and get to know those characters. Do you know Jeremiah? Nothing was going right for him. He got beaten up the whole time. And he was bringing this message from God and 
nobody liked Jeremiah except a few godly people. And Jeremiah could have easily said, you know, my experience is God's not in control. Nebuchadnezzar's in control. And this whole thing is breaking down and His promises didn't even last in my life. God said, just wait. We're coming back home. We're rebuilding the temple. Hey, number two, honest. If you have a modern translation, you'd probably say noble. Noble. Who would be somebody noble in the Scripture? How about Ruth? Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. That's a Moabite woman saying that. That's pretty noble, I would say. Righteous. How about Joseph? Now this is in the betrothal period. This is when the divorce takes place. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, there's our word, just, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. That was Mary, you remember, who had conceived by the Holy Spirit. Well, pure. Who can you think of? Joseph, back in Genesis 39. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He's way down in Egypt. Who's going to know? Well, God's going to know. You've got to be pure. Then number five, lovely. How about Dorcas? A woman in the New Testament who was always doing good, always helping the poor. Peter raised her from the dead, and the people's mourning turned into rejoicing. That's exactly what we're looking for. Instead of worry, negative thoughts, all those things, and a lot of health problems that come from that, we want to see some rejoicing. Well, uh, honorable. No, we got, what have we got next? We got, uh, yeah, honorable. And that would be of good report about the Good Samaritan. Man attacked by thieves, priest passing by, Levite passing by, don't have time to help. But the Good Samaritan does the honorable thing, even though he's a Samaritan and this guy is a Jew. Virtuous, moral excellence. Proverbs 31. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. Praiseworthy. Matthew 26, 10. A woman came to Jesus having an alabaster flask of costly, fragrant oil. And she poured it on His head. And everybody said, Ooh, that money could have been spent to help the poor. But Jesus said, Why do you trouble this woman? She's done a good work for Me. For you have the poor with you always, but Me you do not have always. In pouring out this fragrant oil for my body, she prepared it for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial for her. Now, do you remember in closing, when we were at the middle school, there were curtains up on the stage? And one day I closed the curtains and I was still talking back behind the curtain. Everybody was out there. And I said, now you can't see what I'm doing behind the curtain, but I'm still here. You can hear me speaking to you, but you can't see what's happening. Well, that's the way it is with God. We can't see what's going on behind the curtain. What looks uh, out on the front of the curtain doesn't look too good. There are all kinds of struggles, all kinds of problems, all kinds of difficulties. And these things are not going to be just changed overnight just by doing some meditation. We're talking about a lifestyle. Getting through the difficult times, the affliction, the troubles, the trials, everything that God promises just like Job. But then we're moving on toward a rebuilt thought structure. So we can't see behind the curtain, but God says, hey, I'm doing good back here. And when the curtain is opened, 
you're going to see. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Now, we've been going 90 miles an hour, but just before we dismiss, does anybody have a comment or a question? Because you may have hit the 50 days of praise too. And if you did, you know what I'm talking about. It just changed, it changed our perspective on things. There, there, was, there was a pressure of moving, but all of a sudden, hey, it's a sovereign God. He's in control. He's a loving God. He is infinite. He has all wisdom. Tom? Two things. First of all, if you make a habit of rejoicing, thanking, and then asking, instead of asking, yes. and then thanking, and then rejoicing, it's all improper perspective. That's, That's a good the point. First thing. Yep. Second thing is, it's all a habit. Yeah. It's a habit. Yes. Yes. Habit pattern. And see, in our culture, we just kind of absorb a habit pattern from media, from... Now, if you go to school, you get a certain mindset there. I mean, uh, just public school. And um, it, it becomes a habit. So you gotta, you got to take a conscious effort to break that habit. Very good. Anything else? It talks in Psalm 37 and in Psalm um, 73 about... Um, when you sometimes see the wicked and they seem to be prospering, yes, and etc. Um, and in Psalm seventy-three, it says, "Then I went into the sanctuary of God, and mm. then I understood their end." Um, and that's that, that whole true thing. Sometimes it looks like when things are going well for people who aren't doing the right thing, yeah, that it looks like the truth would be that well, it, it doesn't really count to right. do what it says in the Bible. But when you look from a perspective from, of the Bible and understand the end of those people, it definitely brings a difference. That is really good. Can you hear back there what you're saying? Our experience is about like this, but God has got it all. So when we see the wicked prospering, we got to go in the sanctuary, which is, I'm the sanctuary now. Holy Spirit dwells within me. And we got to meditate. And we got to think through these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You do give us a remedy for the obstacles that come to us in life, the world, the flesh, the devil, and all the ways that they would influence our thinking. We thank You that You've made it possible for us to have access to Your throne at any time, anywhere we are, and we can come to You through the blood of Christ. We thank You that we are not alone as we face these battles. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning. Lord, we all face negative thoughts and worry. And yet we can rebuild our thought patterns. We can tear down stronghold and rebuild towers of truth that will help us to be more like Christ and that will encourage those around us. Lord, we ask for Your guidance, Your strength in this process, and we pray that we might be aware of others who are hurting, who need a good word, who need some encouragement, who need to learn how to restructure their own thoughts. Thank You that uh, Gerald could be with us this morning. And Father, we ask that You would bless his message, that it would go forth with spirit power. And we ask all these things in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.